When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday. It is hump day. And you know what? I think I'm going Bobby Brown. I like humping around today. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about today's show. We'll have some Tennessee Harmony tomorrow. Uh, today, you're just going to get me, and you're going to get an awesome, awesome fire starter. Unless you're one of those Deion Sanders groupies. And, you know, if you're Ticket TV or one of those guys, you're going to be very upset with today's show because I got more stuff I want to talk about as it relates to uh, Deion Sanders. Uh, but, man, this is going to be fantastic, your daily dose of Dion, and I'm going to connect it to larger issues, and I'm going to bring in things about this whole issue as it relates to Colin Cowherd, as it relates to uh, the kid in the Indian headdress at the... Uh, Chiefs Raiders game. I'm going to connect a bunch of little dots, talk about the daddy issues going on with uh, uh, Deion Sanders and Shadur Sanders and all of it. It's, it's going to be amazing. So I want you to kick back, relax, but before you kick back too far, I want you to reach, if you, particularly if you're over Apple, and figure out how to give me that five-star rating. We need that to fight the algorithm. Figure out how to write a review on Apple. If you're watching over uh, YouTube, hit the likes, hit the subscribe, hit the notifications, leave a comment, engage with me, uh, hop in the chat, say hello, I'll be there in the chat, uh, monitoring what you guys have to say about today's show. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. And look, <clears throat> before I get into it, you know, if you're out Christmas shopping, because tis the season right now, we're in full-blown holiday season, it's been a few days since Thanksgiving, now everybody's focusing on, hey, what should I get someone for Christmas? I know what you should get. You should go to shopblazemedia.com fearless fearless. Use my promo code Jason25 for 25% off all orders at the Fearless Shop. Get your Fearless swag. Support me, support this show by getting your Fearless swag and give it to your favorite person at Christmas. Might be your son, might be your husband, might be... Uh, your niece or nephew, might be your little cousin, get them some Fearless swag, make them honorary members of the Fearless Army, uh, get yourself some Fearless swag, uh, and get 25% off. Uh, the other thing you can do uh, is you can support one of our great sponsors like Samaritan Ministries. This is the time of year many of us are thinking about how we're going to pay our family's medical bills in 2024. Before making a final decision, here are three reasons you should take a look at healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries. One, 
You're part of a Christian community. When you have a medical need, fellow Samaritan members send money directly to you to help you pay your medical bills. And you'll do the same for them, all while praying for and encouraging one another. Two, there are no networks, which puts you in control of your family's health care. You know what's best for them, so you choose the doctors and hospitals you go to and have a say in the treatments they receive. Three, you set your start date. Join today and start health care sharing with Samaritan Ministries right now or join today and choose what month you'd like to start. It's up to you. Whether it's a broken bone, cancer, pregnancy, or other medical emergency, you'll find comfort knowing you're connected to 80,000 Christian households across the nation who stand ready to care for one another spiritually and financially during a time it's needed most. And it could be more affordable than what you're paying right now. Check it out at SamaritanMinistries.org slash fearless. You guys ready for this uh, fire starter? It's going to be awesome. I like the, these guys like it, and, and sometimes I like it when, you know, it's not a scripted mono. It's just me kind of emoting. I have this theme. I have these topics I want to address. And so <clears throat> I, I want to start here. You know, I think it was last week I made the analogy of comparing Deion Sanders to the cult leader, Jim Jones, the People's Temple, the people that went to Guyana, drank a bunch of Kool-Aid and killed themselves. People were upset with me about that. Obviously, I don't care. The analogy was great. It, it, it stands the test of time. But I have an even a better analogy. It's going to open us up for a conversation about how to properly raise a child, particularly an athlete. And so the theme of today's show is about daddy issues. And Dion and Shadur have daddy issues. And Dion has daddy issues from his own upbringing. And, and so I thought of today's analogy, and because we've seen this before in, different, in a different form, a different style of what Dion Sanders, helicopter parent, doing everything in his power to build something around Shadur, his son, who's a quarterback. We've seen this before. And, and so... If you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And the media bought the hype. What, what, this had to be 30 years ago, I believe, 30, 35 years ago, when uh, there was a quarterback and a father named Marv and Todd Marinovich. Marv and Todd Marinovich. Marv Marinovich was this former USC football great. He was the captain of a 1962 USC team that went undefeated. He played both ways on that 1962 team that went undefeated. He was drafted by the Raiders. Marv Marinovich, unlike Dion, you know, his college greatness stopped at the collegiate level. He went into some deal as a professional athlete when he joined the Oakland Raiders that he was gonna be the strongest guy in the NFL. And this is back in the 1960s. He overdid it. He didn't know what he was doing. He became injury prone and injury riddled and his career in the NFL never took off. His career in professional football never took off. And so his career, he only had one season in, in, the, in professional football. And so, but he thought he learned a lesson from his own career. And so he started studying 
what they were doing in Eastern Europe, what athletes were doing in Eastern Europe to, to become so strong. And they, they did all this stretching and all these different techniques that we didn't do in America and that Marv didn't do. And so Marv thought he learned lessons that he could apply to his oldest son, Todd. And he started selling the hype that he was building the perfect quarterback. And this kid became like the Tiger Woods of quarterbacking as a young child. And there started stories when the guy was in high school uh, because he started as a freshman at a great high school in California. First kid to ever do that. He set all these national records throughout his four year career. And, and Marv started selling the myth that this kid had never eaten McDonald's, had never eaten ice cream, had never had sugar and you know, was into all these unique uh, weightlifting and training techniques that made him the perfect quarterback. And schools from all over the country were recruiting him, but he goes to USC and plays for Larry Smith and USC, Todd Marinovich does. Left-handed quarterback, starts for two years and is halfway decent, but what happened, once he, his dad wasn't around to be the helicopter parent and he got turned over to USC, Todd Marinovich started experimenting with drugs and became a party boy and undermined his athletic career. And by the time, I think 1992 rolled around, this guy was basically a druggie who could play a little football. And Al Davis fell in love with him at a workout, drafted him, uh, late in the first round, uh, I can't, it's the same draft as Brett Favre. He actually went nine picks ahead of Brett Favre. Brett Favre went early in the second round. Todd Maritovich went, I think, 24th late in the first round. It was a disaster. His drug problems and all that just overtook Todd Maritovich and I think he may have started for the Raiders or played for the Raiders for a couple of years. For after the first year, I think they put him in rehab. Then he came back and played in the second second year and just wasn't any good. And his NFL career flamed out. And he's one of the biggest busts and he's kind of a joke. But I, I want to play a clip from uh, someone did a, a short documentary on Marv and Todd Marinovich. And, and tell me if what they're describing here to me, doesn't sound a little bit like Dion and Shadur. Play the clip. Look, I don't personally doubt that Marv Marinovich loved his children, and especially Todd, but at the same time, it's not hard to connect that he viewed his son as a mere extension of himself, born to follow the teachings Marv had accumulated in his life, and didn't really care to question whether Todd wanted any of it beneath a surface level. As a child, Todd was typecast into an assigned role for life by his father and later the media, and it's difficult to imagine what kind of effect that has to have on your sense of self at one of the most transformative points of your life. Todd Marinovich is still his own person at the end of the day, and the decisions of his past are still his to own. But there's no question that being raised without any capacity to accept failure as a part of life is being dealt a hand you're going to get absolutely destroyed playing. In the end, Marv Marinovich may not have shown any remorse for the scars he left on his son, 
but hopefully the inhuman logic of his approach will stand alone in the world of football as the most egregious warning against using your child as a prop for your personal legacy. Mm. I know you Dion groupies are irate. How dare you compare Dion to Marv Maritovich? Oh, you are out of line. Dion is a great father, and oh my God, he's a black father, and you criticize black fathers for not being around, and Dion is showing an interest in his sons, and now you're criticizing that. Black fathers can do no right. I hear you. I hear all that whining. But Dion, I know you want to lower the bar for all black people and all black men. And you want to, oh my God, he, he's involved with his kid. So it doesn't matter what his involvement is like. He's involved, shut up. Anything you say about his involvement is racist or you're a sellout. How dare you talk about Dion? We love Dion. And you just hate Dion. No, I'm going to use Dion to explain to other black men and just men in general how you should deal with your kids and how being a helicopter parent, the way Dion is being a helicopter parent for Shadur, is harmful. You, 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 you raise a kid up and you push him out of the nest so that he can stand on his own two feet. And, and, and most of the most important training for your child happens within the first three to five years of that child's existence. And that clock that I'm talking about, that three to five years, that clock starts at conception. Listen to what we talk about on this show all the time about the mindset of life starting at conception. And so anybody that wants to be a great father, a great parent, a great mother, what you do for that child in the first three to five years with that clock starting at conception, that's what's going to determine their level of success in this society, that's how you push your child ahead. I'm not saying you neglect them after three to five years, but your intense focus should be in that first three to five years. You should be talking and communicating to your child while he or she is in the womb. You should be placing that mother in a very anxiety-free, relaxed space while she's pregnant. You don't want her stress to impact your child. You don't want to uh, smother your child with commercial music while they're in the womb that poisons their mindset and, menta and mentality. We don't talk about these things, but they're real. And so Dion has his own daddy issues because he didn't have one. He, 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 he didn't seek proper instructions on how to be one. And he's doing the best that he can. But right now he's a helicopter parent. And, and, and the reason I say that is, is because obviously I've been following 
the Colorado uh, football team and season very closely. And I communicate with others who have been following and involved in the Colorado football season very closely. And, and as the season has played out, I've been provided information about what's really going on at Colorado and what the real issues are. And, I, you know, I, I've been being a bit of a journalist, not to brag, but, you know, I'm just being a bit of a journalist trying to get informed so I don't look like a clown like a lot of these people who have no information and basically base all of their opinions off of, hey, is this going to be popular on Twitter? Am I going to get criticized on Twitter if I say these things? These people all look like clowns, and, and we'll get into that here in a second, about how they're all backpedaling now, and they're all making excuses. No one's willing to admit that they're, they were wrong. But I've been acquiring information. And this helicopter parent who won't let his kids out of the nest, and who has put together an alleged coaching career so that he can helicopter uh, parent uh, Shadur's entire football career from a little child all the way through college. He's been poisoning Shadur. It's my understanding, based off of people who know, people with knowledge of what's been going on at Colorado and what went on at Jackson State that the Colorado football team has two sets of rules. One for everybody not named Sanders and one for everybody else, with Travis Hunter being the exception. But he can be the exception because based off of all the information I've acquired, Travis Hunter is a great young man and a very likable and a very, he's just a great competitor and doesn't need a lot of guidance as it relates to being a competitor. But there's one set of rules for everybody else, and then there are the Sanders rules. And, and Shadur has been allowed to operate above the rules. Oh, everybody has to be on time for meetings? Not Shadur. Uh, from what I understand, the week of the Washington State game, the week of the Washington State game, Colorado had a horrendous week of practice. Everybody that was watching their practice was like, oh, my God, uh, this isn't going to go well in Pullman. We're going to get our clocks cleaned at Washington State. Look at the way we're practicing. The coaches could see it. Everybody could see it. And so on one of these days, they shut down practice and say, you know what, everybody get on the line, we're just gonna run you. This, this happens, commonplace, coaches get fed up, they don't like the way practice is going, they don't think the team's ready, and so I'm just gonna run you to death, I'm gonna punish you. Everybody gets on the line, Shadur walked into the locker room with no consequences. The whole team is being punished. Shadur walks into the locker room. Shadur Sanders, to the best of my understanding, and, and I have to say that it's been hard for me to evaluate Shadur Sanders because there's so much hype and there's so much noise. The guys that broadcast the games, 
they color my vision and ability to be able to understand what's going on here because they pour so much sugar. Shadur is this, Shadur is that, Shadur is the great. Shadur, oh my God, we've never seen anything like Shadur. He's the great. And so when you're hearing all that and watching him play, all the noise from the commentators blurs your vision. And so I've been struggling. To, is Shadur a first-round quarterback? I, I don't know because I've been inundated with so much propaganda that, that I don't know, but I've been asking other people that haven't been as blinded and have a uh, more close-up, intimate view of what's been transpiring. And they say, yeah, he, he's got first-round talent. But he's got an undraftable personality. This can't be talked about in the media anyplace. That baby Johnny Manziel, the guy that's been running around flashing his 80,000, back when they were winning games, you know, he was flashing his 80,000 watch in everybody's face. They say this dude is a nightmare because his helicopter daddy has allowed him to be an entitled nightmare. We're looking at daddy issues that will likely, when they push Shadur finally out of the nest and he has to go to the NFL and survive without his dad being the helicopter coach and parent who has spent his entire life, or Shadur's entire life, coaching Shadur personally. When they get ready, get ready to deliver him to the NFL, the word is, you better buckle up. Because Dion has coddled this kid to the point that he may be uncoachable. And so my evaluation of Shadur, and this is when part, a lot of my criticism has come of what Dion has done at, at Colorado from a strategic standpoint. I look at Shadur and say, he reminds me of a bigger Jalen Hurts. That's who he reminds me of, a bigger Jalen Hurts. Not the most mobile guy, but mobile. Good, solid, good arm, can deliver the football everywhere you need it on the field, but not an elite arm, but good. And, and, and he reminds, tough, he's tough in the pocket, relatively, he reminds me of Jalen Hurts. And so I've watched uh, uh, Colorado all year. Like, how come they don't run a similar style offense like Philadelphia is using with Jalen Hurts? Why, why isn't he under center occasionally? Why is he always in shotgun? Again, he should be in a very similar offense to Philadelphia. Dion won't allow it. Dion hired an offensive coordinator to run a five wide, everybody out in a pattern, no tight end, that block, to do all of that. But the other issue, the big issue that's going to face Shadur Sanders as he goes into the NFL, he's got Jalen Hurts' talent, but he's got Johnny Manziel's personality. What makes Jalen Hurts great? Jalen Hurts is one of the greatest leaders, one of the greatest young men we've ever seen in college athletics and in the NFL. It's all the intangibles. Shadur doesn't have those things. Shadur 
has been helicopter parented throughout his entire athletic career. We're looking at major daddy issues. It's different. I'm not saying he's going to be a drug addict like Todd Marinovich. He's not experiencing the same things that Marv Marinovich did to his son. But he is experiencing helicopter parenting, a parent that hasn't allowed him out of the nest, a parent that has protected him from aggressive coaching. Because from my understanding, that's part of the issue with Sean Lewis. Sean Lewis made the mistake of trying to coach Shadur, and that didn't go well, and that got Sean Lewis demoted. And if you remember, earlier in the season, Dion tells some silly story about, I think, Florida State's recruiting process of Shadur, and they went to some camp, and the coach didn't pay Shadur enough attention. And this is early in the season. And uh, Shadur allegedly, it was the offensive coordinator of one of these teams early in the year that Shadur wanted some revenge because that guy didn't show him enough attention when he was at a Florida State camp and Dion was bragging about, yeah, Shadur wanted some payback. This is helicopter parenting. Someone didn't coddle and kiss Shadur's butt at a football camp when he was 16 or 17 years old, and Dion and Shadur are holding a grudge about it. Daddy issues. See, daddy issues just aren't like, hey, I didn't know my daddy. You can have those daddy issues. But you can also have daddy issues from a daddy who, I want to play the clip again. Now that I've given you that context, I want to play the clip from the Marv Marinovich, Todd Marinovich deal. And after I just gave you that context, listen to what is said about Marv and Todd Marinovich now and compare it to what we've been witnessing as it relates to Dion and Shadur. Look, I don't personally doubt that Marv Marinovich loved his children, and especially Todd, but at the same time, it's not hard to connect that he viewed his son as a mere extension of himself, born to follow the teachings Marv had accumulated in his life, and didn't really care to question whether Todd wanted any of it beneath a surface level. As a child, Todd was typecast into an assigned role for life by his father and later the media, and it's difficult to imagine what kind of effect that has to have on your sense of self at one of the most transformative points of your life. Todd Marinovich is still his own person at the end of the day, and the decisions of his past are still his to own. But there's no question that being raised without any capacity to accept failure as a part of life is being dealt a hand you're going to get absolutely destroyed playing. In the end, Marv Marinovich may not have shown any remorse for the scars he left on his son, but hopefully the inhuman logic of his approach will stand alone in the world of football as the most egregious warning against using your child as a prop for your personal legacy. So, I, I want you all to, we just watched a team lose eight of its last nine games. Eight of its last nine games finish in last place in the Pac-12 conference. We watched the quarterback of that team run around and be a little jerk on the field and flaunt his wealth and act like a spoiled, pampered, entitled, little rich Johnny Man, black Johnny Manziel. 
And at no point during this entire season did the head coach, who had no problem calling out the offensive line, had no problem calling out uh, his soft defense, had no problems calling out Cormani McClain, had no problem uh, uh, demoting Sean Lewis and blaming him. At any point, did the head coach of the Colorado football team put any blame on his quarterback? Or did he, after every game, even the game where his son did not play and the backup quarterback came in and played lights out, Dion celebrated Shadur after every game. And when the season was over, he st- instead of talking about what Colorado needs and what this entire team needs, he came out and said, we got to get, we know what Shadur needs. This young man has been afflicted with daddy issues. When they turn this kid over to the NFL and he gets a taste of life without daddy coddling him at every turn. Won't be pretty. This will not be pretty. And so, I, 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 again, I don't know all the history with Shadur and Dion. Uh, I know Dion has his own daddy issues. Uh, didn't know his, and I don't think his stepfather was some great guy either. Uh, but Dion's made a mess here. And, and, and Dion has coddled his son to the point that he's not liked, and he's not, not only not liked in that locker room, he's not connected to anyone in that locker room. Other than Shiloh, his daddy, and Travis Hunter a little bit. He's untouchable. He's aloof. He's uncoachable. He's petulant. He's entitled. He's spoiled because that's what his daddy has allowed. And so for those of you running, and I've had people, I had a former NFL player hop in my DMs on Instagram and said, Dion's showing me the blueprint on how to raise a child and what you should do for a child. No, he's not. No, he's not. If you really want to be a great father. Focus the majority of your energy on the first five years of that child's life. And I'm talking, that clock starts at conception. Before that baby gets out of the womb, you make sure you're doing everything in your power to help him or her along in their journey. And that starts with by putting that mother in as stress-free a zone as possible. That starts with making sure you keep the pollution that, that commercial and pop culture sends to these kids through music, while they're in the womb, kids can hear everything. There's a reason why they can recognize a parent's voice before they get out of the womb. Because they're listening while in the womb. And this stuff 
matters. They won't tell you this, that, that your kids are, are, are coming out entitled, angry, anxiety ridden, stress filled, more easily triggered and emotional because they have you, the mother and the father, addicted to a form of music that poisons a child in the womb. You don't have to like me. You can continue if you want to continue to worship Deion Sanders, but, but I'm giving you straight facts here on what you should do if you really want to set your child up for success. Because by the time your child is 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, if you fed them all this poison in the first three to five years, good luck. You better hope they got Dion type talent or LeBron type talent where they can get away with all these flaws and all the poison you fed them. Good luck hitting that genetics lottery ticket. But if you want to avoid the kind of daddy issues that are headed Shadur's way, do the work in the first five years, and then you can coast. And then you can, at 15, 16, 13, 14, you can turn your children over to high school coaches, college coaches, and NFL coaches, and they'll be ready to handle and deal with that on their own. They'll take the lumps, they'll take some adversity, they'll take some criticism, they'll be built for the long haul. They'll be built to make it without you. That's the goal, to build your child to a point where they can make it with or without you. The earlier, the better. If you got a 30-year-old living in your basement, you ain't done your job. You got a 25-year-old living with you, you ain't done your job. These kids are meant to get up out the house at 18 years old. And I'm not bragging. I'm just facting. But when I left and went to Ball State, I never came back. And by the time I was 28, 27, I was ready to offer my parents the support they needed. Not that they weren't still an asset to me. But if you're helicoptering your child at 21, 22 years old, and you're the only person that can coach him, you're doing them a disservice. You're a different version of Marv Marinovich. I'm going to transition uh, to another layer of this. I'm going to talk about <coughs> Colin Cowherd is something I saw uh, yesterday related to Deion Sanders. Uh, before I do that, I want to talk to you guys about uh, prize picks. Are you testing your skills on prize picks this football season? It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, 
easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. My mom has, cha has uh, changed her picks from yesterday because <laughs> the last ones were terrible. So these are the new prize picks she's selecting for Thursday Night Football. See, my mom takes my advice now. Uh, C.D. Lamb, more than six and a half receptions. Not bad. Uh, Micah Parsons, she's got, ooh, he's going to get to Geno Smith. She's got him with more than one sack. And Geno Smith, less than 226 and a half passing yards. Go to prizepicks.com slash fearless. Use my promo code fearless for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash fearless. Use the code fearless, prizepicks. Daily fantasy sports made easy. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So <clears throat> I'm going to transition uh, to something I picked up and saw yesterday. And, and uh, you know, I, I know, oh, here's Whitlock beefing again. I, I'm not beefing, but, you know, I'm also not afraid of a little spoke. <laughs> and I'm also not going to put blinders on and act like I don't know when people are subtweeting me or subcommenting me or uh, whatever. I'm just not going to ignore uh, when people take little tiny shots at me. And I believe uh, Colin Cowherd has taken one here at me. <clears throat> Colin and I used to work together at uh, Fox Sports, you guys know. And Colin and I uh, were friendly when we were both at ESPN. We were friendly at Fox Sports. Uh, we've grown distance uh, since I, I left Fox Sports years ago. Uh, you know, shortly after I left, I think Colin unfollowed me on Twitter. Again, I, I did nothing. And then shortly after that, maybe a year, year and a half ago, Colin quit responding to any text message from me. I get it. it it's no different than um, what I've said about Dan Lebetard and, and others. Like, man, it takes a lot to be connected to me because, you know, I say things that the mainstream isn't comfortable with. And in order, uh, people don't want to take that heat. They don't want to have to, hey, you still friendly with Whitlock? And they don't want to answer those questions. And so they push back and get some distance. I'm not offended by that. I, I get it. The, the, these guys have a different agenda than me, and they should have. Colin's married, been married twice, has kids. He has a whole different mindset as it relates to this business uh, than I do. And, and I'm not saying this as a criticism, because as I said, Colin's married, he's been married twice, he's got kids. He's got different responsibilities than me. And Colin, and I don't mean this hyper-negative, but it's just fact, Colin loves money more than I do and prioritizes money more than I do. And some of that has to do with he's been married twice, he's got kids, he's got different demands. But the other part is like, he's not burdened 
burden is the wrong word, but he, he has no religious convictions. I, I, I'm honestly and have been and, and just I'm trying to please God. And, and I don't think Colin has any religious beliefs. And so Colin wants to make as much money and be as powerful as he can be in the media space. And part of, I think it's a smart move by him, given his agenda, distance yourself from me. What, what, what I don't like or what, what, you know, gets under my skin a bit, and I had this issue with Dan Levitar, uh, don't let your minions, don't, don't let your minions speak for you or, uh, or, or take little shots at me and you pretend like you had nothing to do with it. That's what got crossways with me and Levitard when he let Stagats lie about me and Dan just sit there and giggled and laughed. And so I would say in September, I want to start with a clip of Jason McIntyre, uh, I believe from September, on Colin's show. McIntyre is the sidekick uh, for Colin on his show. Jason McIntyre took a shot at me on Colin's show. All right, the thing I don't like, um, and that's because of, of a personal experience, is like you you get your shot in the limelight. You get your chance, and then it doesn't go well. And everybody thinks this guy's a bust. Listen, it happened to me. I came out here to yeah. do TV. Well, I was whatever. on a show yeah, with a knucklehead. Not... Well, and, what? And like, I got run off. I felt like it's over for me. It's over. Well, And then I get my chance here, and you know well. things are going good. I, I feel like everybody deserves a second chance. I just Is that fair? Like well, I hope almost, Zach Wilson gets another almost chance. Every- and so that, that's a little tiny thing, obviously. And in September, I tweeted about that. And I sent Colin a text message like, hey, uh, tell you, McIntyre runs off the reservation again. I'm blaming you, not McIntyre. You know, McIntyre's little comments, completely out of context. They're dishonest. They're a lie. Look, and he did, I did not want to do a show with McIntyre. McIntyre was brought on to that first iteration of uh, Speak for Yourself to be a hype man for Colin Cowher. Colin Cowher was the guy that insisted McIntyre be on the show. Wasn't my call, wasn't what I wanted, but I I let it happen. When Cowher decided to leave the show after he had milked it for what he needed it for, it wasn't my responsibility to carry Jason McIntyre. He's not a talented TV personality, and he doesn't play into my strengths. Jason McIntyre is a lightweight intellectually. Obviously, I like to do heavier stuff. Jason McIntyre is for fun, and that's what Cowherd. And so it took a year and a half or so for Cowherd to get Joy Taylor off there, and now he can carry Jason McIntyre. Jason McIntyre should have no bitterness towards me. He should be thankful that Colin Cowherd has agreed to carry him. And, and, and I don't say that disparagingly, I'm saying it factually. He, instead of disparaging me, calling me a knucklehead and taking a little shot, now I'm a TV star. No, you're Colin's sidekick, you're in a role that fits, you're the hype man, you're the fluffer for Colin Cowherd. Nothing wrong with that. Ed McMahon, there's plenty, you know, nothing wrong with that. So, <clears throat> McIntyre has nothing to do with this clip that caught my attention yesterday. This is Cowherd. Uh, talking about Deion Sanders. And again, some people may say, oh, Whitlock, he he ain't talking about you. Well, I do think he's talking about me. Let's play the first uh, Colin Cowherd clip uh, from yesterday talking about Deion Sanders. 
Let's start with this. Deion Sanders is realizing what all Colorado football coaches eventually realize. It's hard to build a great roster in Boulder. The athletic department doesn't have a lot of money and support, and the state does not provide a lot of great high school football players. It was very fun to watch early, but Colorado finished 4-8, and 1-8 eight, and eight in the Pac-12, and blew a 29-0 lead against awful Stanford. You guys are banging on Lincoln Riley. Deion Sanders didn't win enough. But I will say this in support of him. I thought September Dion Colorado was great. It was new. It was fresh. It was fun. I don't regret for a second leaning into it. I like new stuff. They were the most watched team in college football for five weeks. They were a little bit like a TikTok trend. Wild for about 24 hours. And then they fade into irrelevance. But that's okay. You're on TikTok too. Colorado football, eventually, all coaches discover this, is Colorado football. That's why if you go back to the 1960s and the 1970s, the top 20 programs then are mostly the top 20 programs now. It's a state that doesn't provide a lot of players, and you have to convince them to leave Texas and California and come to the mountains. It's hard. A lot of people, I find, are rooting against Deion Sanders. He's different. He brags a lot. Can be a little showy. I get it. So, and again, this, I, I don't want to make a molehill into a mountain, but he's making a bunch of excuses for Dion. And then he frames up a lot of people are rooting against Dion. And that's a criticism that's been leveled at me all football season that I'm rooting against Deion Sanders. I think Colin is saying that in a calculated way to say, yeah, Whitlock's rooting against uh, Deion Sanders. I'm sure Colin was, no, no, I'm talking about somebody else. Who, I don't know, but somebody else. But there's been one person that's been out here going at Deion hard all football season. Everybody knows who it is. I've been proven right. Uh, and then, so I, I want to play this second clip from Coward, and this is in the same segment where he circles back and, you know, subtweets me again. Society is filled with people on the sidelines taking shots at successful people. It's so easy. You know, it's not. It's hard. Nick Saban built a powerhouse. They weren't winning back to back. It's hard. NIL transfer portals made it even harder. It's easy to sit on the sidelines and take shots at Deion Sanders. But September Deion, September Colorado was a lot of fun. I thought they'd get dragged by TCU and they went to Texas and blew them out. But Deion is realizing the realities of college football. Brian Kelly is an excellent coach. Half the fan base wants him gone. Ryan Day is an excellent coach. Dabo Sweeney's an excellent coach. Nobody's ever happy. Mario Cristobal's at a better program than Dion. He's 500 after two years at Miami. Nebraska's a better program than Colorado. Matt Rule went five and seven. September, we all got a little over our skis. We got into the hype. It's okay. You fall in love with a lot of things. People, teams, players, businesses, opportunities. It's okay. Go ahead, be grumpy. Never fall in love with anything. September football for Dion was a blast. I loved it. I thought it was crazy. 
surprised the heck out of me. But then reality set in. The Colorado players decommitting? So what? Players decommit from Nick Saban, Ryan Day, Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley? Players decommit all the time. Players have never been more empowered. What I find with Dion is a lot of people are just rooting against him. And you're all experts now. I told you it was hype. So what if it was? Sometimes hype is fun. That's okay. We all fall for something at some time in our life. I'm rooting for Dion, but it is Colorado football. <laughs> Let's temper our enthusiasm. If he gets him to a 500 program, that's pretty good for Colorado football. When he first got hired, so, I thought it was weird. A day later, made some calls, thought, oh, he'll get attention. That part you can't deny. None of us have ever discussed Colorado football more than now. So obviously there's factual errors in that in terms of, of you know, they didn't blow out TCU. They got lucky and beat them by two or three points. But th th that's nitpicking. Uh, obviously, you know what bothered me is the uh, people on the sidelines. You know, it's easy for them to sit on the sidelines and criticize successful people. And, and, and I, I, I get it. You know, I've, I'm out here wrestling with Stephen A. Smith, wrestling with Shannon Sharp, wrestling with Dan Levitard, and now today I'm wrestling with Colin Cowherd. And, and these guys all have a different definition of success than I do. I'm, I, I'll let you be the judge of who's got the proper definition of success. I, 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 I'm not mad at them for their definition of success. Their definition of success is all about the bag and all about money. Not knocking it. I, I, I've been a tiny bit in that mind space, in that head space, that they are. But if you look at me and look at the decisions I've made, and if you trust what I've been telling you and what I feel like I've been demonstrating to you with my actions, I have a completely different definition of success. And that goes all the way back to my childhood when I had little, when I had dreams as a little kid of like, hey, one day, and again, I used to have these dreams, and I I've, I've feel like I've misinterpreted those dreams, uh, feel like I, I, I didn't have the right reading of those dreams. But I used to dream about like, hey, man, you're going to follow in Martin Luther King's footsteps, and you're going to say powerful things about America and race relationships and, and elevating people's understanding of the racial dynamics and racial issues. That was my dream as a kid. And so when I got into this business, it was never about making money. I've shared with you all when I was a student at Ball State, I thought about, man, I'm gonna make $70,000 a year, time I'm 40 years old, and wow, that's gonna be amazing. And I really did have, those were my dreams. And so I fell into a level of financial success uh, in my 20s 
and 30s and 40s that I never imagined. And, and, and I think my actions have pretty much indicated that I never imagined them and I never prioritized it to the point that I would ever compromise off of my real dream. My goal, what, what I wanted to be successful at is having conversations and elevating people's understanding of the racial dynamics that have plagued America. That's what success looks like to me. And so I've made decisions in my career to exit corporate media because I don't think you can have those conversations within corporate media. I think you're forced to lie. I think you're forced to be dishonest. I think you're forced not to tell the audience the truth. And that's what we're looking at here as it relates to Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders came out the gate at Colorado saying things that were crazy, including his day one press conference that he filmed where he's basically telling those guys to hit the transfer portal. And then after that first game, when he starts beating the desk and I make white people uncomfortable and they don't want to see a black man, I was like, whoa, there are things I wanted to say about Deion Sanders that cannot be said in corporate media, not in real time. You know how I know that? Because none of this was pointed out in corporate media when Dion was making these obvious mistakes and saying these obviously inappropriate things. People weren't able to criticize him. And even now to this day that it's blown up in everyone's face. Colin Cowherd is rationalizing. Well, as long as he gets to 500, that's amazing. No one's ever talked about Colorado the way they are today. Colin Cowherd's older than me. He's been in this sports world, in this sports lane, longer than I have. This just isn't true. Colorado won a national championship under Bill McCartney. Colorado had, uh, I was a sports writer when uh, Mizzou played uh, Colorado and they had the flea kicker game or the fifth down game and, and all this other stuff to where Colorado's been in the national discussion with Bill McCartney and they were in the national discussion with Gary Barnett. And so this whole, oh, if they could just get to 500, that'll be success. Why would they accept that? They've had more than that in the 1990s. They had more than that in the 2000s. It's not an impossibility. We've seen coaches do it. So here's my other issue with, with Cowherd and why this whole thing surprises me is because Cowherd, and, and, and again, this is why I left corporate media. Because again, you can't be honest. And so the things that Cowherd used to do and what made him a great broadcaster and one the best sports radio talk show host uh, in America at one time, he can't do those things any longer. Because I can remember celebrating Cowherd. Remember Cowherd's take on Russell Westbrook when everybody was celebrating Russell Westbrook and the triple doubles and he's MVP? Cowherd called BS on all of that in real time. While everybody else was running off celebrating Russell Westbrook, Cowherd stood out on an island and was like, man, this dude, can't, he ain't a winner. 
He's a head case, and he doesn't play the right way. And Cowher was proven to be accurate on that. And you know who one of the few people in the national media or in the media at all that would celebrate and talk about that? Was Jason Whitlock. Man, Cowherd, you were way out in front. I didn't see that coming. No one saw that coming. That took a pair for you to stand out there and call out Russell Westbrook. Man, that's incredible. I used to say that and still stand on that. Say it all the time. Celebrate it. Man, and I, I didn't see it coming. I was late to the party. Blah, blah, blah. Celebrate it. Cowherd, Baker Mayfield. Everything that I'm being accused of doing to... Uh, Deion Sanders, Cowherd was accused of doing to Baker Mayfield. He's not quarterbackio. I don't like, and this is when Baker Mayfield was a college kid. This won't fly in the NFL. He stood out on that island. People criticized Cowherd. Oh, you're just raining on Baker Mayfield. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy. He's this, he's that. Cowherd, this is personal. And then Cowherd's like, no, this is what I see. And he was right. And I celebrated him for that. That's what made him great. But this corporate media thing and this love of money and this, this desire to be popular over social media, you can't be honest in corporate media. And it enrages people that, <clears throat> and it does, I'm not saying they're jealous. I'm not saying that because, again, they have a different set of priorities and an agenda than me. They, they want to be super rich. They want to be super popular in the culture. They want people, when they show up somewhere, they want people to smile and be happy to see them. Those aren't my priorities. But, but they're bothered that I continue to sit out here and be like, you know what? My priority is I got to be able to say what I really believe and I got to be able to talk about what I really want to talk about. And I'm standing out here and I've called out Stephen A. Smith. I've called out Shannon Sharp. I've called out other people and I'm, now I'm calling out Cowherd. And it bothers them that I can be this kind of audi honest. And they don't, with all the money they got, they could, again, they could be as honest as me. They, they've made plenty of money, but they're so addicted to money. So their reputations, their, Confidence is so attached to being celebrated in corporate spaces and have all that money that they just can't let it go. And, and I don't want anybody to cry for me and act like, because I have not made incredible sacrifices. You know, I, I don't want anybody sitting out there like Whitlock's out here trying to pretend like, you know, he, he's made these incredible sacrifices, because I haven't on a condo in Florida that I never stay at. On a home in Indianapolis that I, my mom stays at. Buying a home here in Nashville in about an hour. I'm not crying, I have not made, there's some of you out there that have made some real sacrifices. I don't want you to pretend like I'm on your level, but I have chosen freedom and independence of thought and to be able to speak what I want to speak over just taking the money and telling lies. 
and having to pretend like, oh, I'm totally caught by surprise that Deion Sanders inviting a bunch of rappers and a bunch of celebrities to every football game, I'm totally surprised that blew up in Deion's face. And oh, it was fun. And, and, and these other people, they're just sitting on the sidelines criticizing successful people. Nah, man, I'm doing my job. Just like you used to do your job. You, you know, our job used to be to put the audience ahead of the conversation, alert them to what's coming down the pike, alert them to uh, uh, what's going to happen, not just react to what did happen. Cowherd did it marvelously with Russell Westbrook and Baker Mayfield and other things that I probably can't even think of right now. Don't be mad at me because I did it here with Dion. It was completely obvious. People are saying, man, why are they the most penalized team in Power Five? Why did they basically lead the country from start to finish in penalties? Because Dion had every rapper and celebrity in the locker room, talking to his team before the game, at halftime, after the game, on the sidelines, and you wonder why they had no focus? You wonder why they lost a 29-point lead to Stanford? Shadur is in there selling merch at halftime of the Stanford game. You got rappers and celebrities in the locker room and a DJ playing at halftime of the Stanford game, and you're wondering why they lost the game? And why Deion's team was the most undisciplined team in all of college football? Stevie Wonder could see this, and he's never played a lick of football. Those corporate handcuffs force you to lie and be ignorant and plead ignorance and, and, and not say what you really know and think. And so everybody played the game of, yeah, Dion, this is working, this is great, and this is fun. And Dion was hot, and it was a TikTok trend. No, nah, man. You chose not to tell the truth because you wanted to protect your bag. Period. And that's what this whole thing does. And I'm going to give one last little other piece of Again, because I've, I've said a lot, and it'll all be misinterpreted, and you know, I'm, I'm the bad guy. We're like, he, he don't have no friends in the media, and everybody, blah, 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 you know, Royce White don't like him no more. Oh, God. Hey, man, <clears throat> I'm going to be real and say what I think and be honest and let the chips fall where they may. I'm not ever going to subtweet anybody. I'm not ever going to... Uh, let little minions, I'll never have TJ Moe or Virgil on here. Hey, y'all take them shots. I'm not doing that. I'm out here independent on my own. I'm gonna take all these shots myself. So <clears throat> Cowherd is in business with Shannon Sharp, who rightfully doesn't like me. I've been hypercritical of Shannon Sharp, and so I'm sure that's part of the reason why he needs space and distance from me. Uh, they had to, I think Sharp's cut in on that volume business, or he's partnered with Shannon and, and, and Cowherd are partnered together. But e e even more than that, part of the issue where th that created some distance between Cowherd and I, even when we were at Fox Sports, was that Cowherd's connected to Jamie Horowitz. That's his guy. 
That's his right-hand man. That's who he believes in. That's who he thinks is the greatest TV executive in history. I don't like Jamie Horowitz. I think he's one of the most despicable people in the history of television sports. He got run out of Fox Sports because basically he was the Harvey Weinstein of sports media. And that's Cowherd's guy. And everybody knows I don't like Jamie Horowitz. I've talked about it previously. And then you can punch his name into Google and find out why he got ran out after a very short, brief sexual harassment allegations at uh, Fox Sports. He got run out. That's Cowherd's guy. Horowitz knows I don't like him. Horowitz knows I call him out. Horowitz knows, and Shannon Sharp, same deal. He loves Jamie Horowitz, too. Because again, Horowitz is one of these puppet masters. He puts the little puppet strings on the minstrel show that Shannon Sharp was doing on FS1. Horowitz was the guy pulling those strings. I didn't like it. We didn't get along when I was there. That's who these guys are connected with. They, they have been trying to, uh, Horowitz has never let go of his animus towards Fox Sports for running him out. And they use Sharp, and remember I called out Stephen A. and Sharp, told him to cut it out. They were trying to go after an executive. That's, that's all Jamie Horowitz crap. Horowitz is Cowherd's guy. So uh, I'll end this portion by just saying, hey, look, <clears throat> I have no problem with people with different agendas, different priorities, a different approach. Just leave me out of it. Just leave me out of it. Don't subtweet me. Don't, I I've given you your space. You're not bad people. You have decisions to make. You have different responsibilities than I do. But just leave me out of it. Or because I will go all the way there. I'm just scratching the surface. Uh, I got one more thing I want to add before, uh, before we go. I want to. I want to. Bring circle this all into the Quran Phillips dead spin chiefs fan deal here uh, at, at the end. But before I do that, uh, guys, I want to remind you, you guys know I love preborn. You know, as fearless soldiers, we love preborn. If you've been listening to today's show, I'm going to connect it all the way back to what I said about Dion and about life beginning at conception and how critical that mindset, that belief is. And, and this is what preborn does better than any organization. It supports the belief that life begins at conception. They provide expectant mothers, ultrasounds, introduce that baby. Uh, to the mother, heartbeat, image of the baby, that woman then more than twice as likely to choose life rather than abortion. And then preborn really comes in and steps up and supports that woman through the pregnancy and then the first two years after pregnancy with that baby. That's why we give, whether it's $28, $280, $20, $5, $5,000, whatever, we support preborn because we understand the importance of this mindset and of supporting life in the womb. When you look at all these mistakes men are making and people are making, 
It's because they have the wrong mindset about where life actually begins. And again, that, that's why it's just all connected. I circle back to what I was saying about Dion and these daddy issues. We think taking our kids to football games and going to the movies and being their best friend and helicopter parenting them through their athletic career at 14, 15, and 21 years old, we think that's what's important. What's important is those first five years of life and that clock starts at conception. That's what's important. That's why you have to support preborn. Once we get people in that mindset, watch how things improve. If people understood the actions they take while that woman is pregnant, the music that they play while, while they're around that woman, the stress that they put on that woman while she's pregnant, all of that plays a critical role. And as men, we have to step up and make sure that woman is in a very safe, stress-free, poison-free poison mindset and environment. We gotta support life in the womb. Uh, hit pound 250, say the keyword baby. That's one way to give. Or you can give the way that I like to give, preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. <clears throat> oh, boy. Uh, so <laughs> I, I want to wrap up on this note. This Karan Phillips, uh, the dead spin writer that went after uh, what we now know to be a five year old little boy. I believe his name is Holden Armenta. His grandfather is actually a Native American. This kid has Native American blood in him, I, 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 the Churamai tribe or something like that his grandfather's from. This Karan Phillips slandered this kid, smeared this kid, and other people jumped on board. I'm, a, I'm not picking on people, I'm just calling it out and just trying to explain to you about this corporate media deal and how bandwagon and how dishonest and how just irresponsible, how unfair it is. But I want to play it. Here's, here's Dan Levitard. I think it's SOT number four, uh, talking about this Chiefs kid. Uh, so, Pablo, when you see immediately last night, the right picks up uh, Sue Deadspin. Let's bankrupt them like Gawker because a, a five-year-old kid at a game has been dressed in face paint and he is wearing Native American gear. He's at a Chiefs game. Half of his face is red. Half of his face is black. 
uh, he should be punished because he's wearing blackface and you're only seeing half of his face. And then you see, no, there's also red face. And uh, the the right has picked this up and said, sue Deadspin, bankrupt Deadspin. And I can't help but laugh at the center of this. I can't help but laugh somehow at the idea of they want him sued for one racism while the kid is still in full racist garb. The only part of him that's not intentionally kind of racist is the black part. The rest is team colors and he's going for just being a fan. But the racism is already in there, just not the kind that the right is picking up and flogging deadspin with over a five-year-old kid. Like, the stupidity of this is remarkable. Five-year-old kid whose grandfather's Native American. He's, he's really being racist. There's video of the kid doing the chop. Chiefs players, black players see him doing this. Dan, what are you doing? You're being offended? for black people or for Native American. It's all a gimmick. This is a five-year-old kid. Leave the kid alone. D D Deadspin and their history of unfairly smearing people and destroying, and, and Dan knows. Again, <laughs> I mean, th th when I bring this part up, it'll sound personal, because this wasn't a part of my original thought, but just listening to him talk, I was sitting there like, Dan knows that like when Tommy Craggs was running Deadspin, they took that little dude, Greg Howard, that was writing all those smear pieces on me, and, and they, Tommy Craggs and I think, what, Tim Marchman, I think, went into a story that Greg Howard wrote, Greg Howard was a black dude, and, and went into his story and rewrote it and had Greg Howard write that, yeah, Jason Whitlock's basically calling uh, RG3. This was in a Deadspin story. And, and Greg Howard copped to me in writing emails that at that time I was friends with Levitard and I showed him this, like, I can't believe this. He copped to me in writing that Tommy Craggs and Tim Marchman wrote that, injected it into Greg Howard's story. But, but, but Deadspin, those guys, they're, they're, they have no history of racism. I mean, just stop it. This whole, here's with Karan Phillips, he's deleted his tweets where he had doubled down on the criticism of this kid. And, and I'm, I'm tying it all together because from Deion Sanders to Karan Phillips to Colin Cowherd to Dan Levitar, I never hear any of these guys, hey, you know what? I was wrong. Let me walk that back. I, I, I watched uh, Dan Levitard let his minions try to savage Mich Michelle Tafoya. It was ignorant and stupid and cowardly. You bring on someone as accomplished and as pro high profile as Michelle Tafoya, and then you let a little clownish minions attack her. And you're not man enough to stop them in real time or afterwards to even come out and say, you know what, that was some clownish, buffoonish stuff, blah. They, yeah, he soft-pedaled and said, like, it wasn't a good look. But any of these guys just copying and taking responsibility, like, hey, I was wrong here. And again, that, that's all you, 
because I do it all the time. And, and I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal, but I'm just saying get in a real space where, where you can admit your mistakes. I can remember, I still make fun of myself and did for several years. I got all excited about Carson Wentz his rookie year. And I can remember Eric Mangini like, man, pump the brakes. Are you kidding me? We haven't blah blah, and we used to go back and forth back. And then when Eric Mangini, it got to be proven like he was a thousand percent right. I used to clown myself and acknowledge like, boy, I made a fool out of myself. And Eric Mangini called me out. These guys never do this. They never hold themselves responsible. They they they, they, they and <laughs> again, it's just even like what I said about Cowherd and Russell Westbrook. I was like, I was one of those people that I wasn't over the top in celebration of Westbrook, but I didn't see what Cowherd could see. But I still celebrated Cowherd for being right, and I was like, man, I wish I had blah, blah, blah. I, I, I just never, all, all, all these Dion worshipers had to say, I was like, man, I look silly on that, and you know this Dion thing's not gonna work, but can't walk it back. You smear a little five-year-old kid, find out that his grandfather's Native American, you know dang well this five-year-old kid isn't out here trying to be racist. Just walk it back. Just, ah, I'm sorry, I screwed that one up. But that's not what any of these guys do. And, and, and again, that's where I sit there. I want to be careful. I got different demands than them. They have different demands than I do. But I don't define success the way that they define success. There's, for, for that financial success that they're chasing, there are lies that have to be told. There are people that have to be unfairly smeared. Five-year-old kids. You can say, do I attack Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp, grown men my age, who are making millions of dollars? That's all in the game, yo. Five-year-old kid? It's a sick time we live in. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Uh, I, I'm embarrassed. Who, who, what's this tweet? Tweet about Dan Levitard in red and black. Dan Levitard defended Deadspin smearing a, oh, this is Bobby Burrick, I think, uh, smearing a little kid because he said, you should never use red and black combination on your face, no matter what, because it's racist. And then Bobby Bird also, here's Dan Levitard last year. I, I, is that some wrestler I think Levitard's pretending to be? It, it, these guys. Anyway, uh, that's today's show. Uh, I know you Dion groupies are upset. I know you uh, corporate media shills and those of you that define everything by uh, bank account. I, I, I just, I, hold on, kill the music because I got maybe two more minutes of something I want to say. It, it's these guys think their money is going to protect them from the chaos that they see clear as day coming. That, that, that their kids are going to be protected from it. We're, I'm going to have so much money, it won't matter that they've stolen all the freedom. You're going to be an elite, your children and your children's children. I've made so much money that even if communism does come to America, 
you're going to be an elite. You'll be fine. And, and maybe I would have the same mindset if I had kids. Like, as long as mine are good, I'm good. But that's why a faith in God is so critical. When you answer to a higher power, it's not just about you and your kids. And, and again, maybe I can say this because I don't have kids. And so maybe it wouldn't be true if I did. But my agenda is about protecting freedom of religion and freedom of Christianity here in America. And that makes me feel like my goal has to be bigger than just how much money I can make. I know how to make money. I know what kind of decisions I can make to enrich myself. But I feel like my calling is higher because I, I, I want to leave room for believers and for people who value freedom of speech, freedom of expression, who, who value their rights, rights and freedoms and opportunities that we've come to take for granted. I, my calling says I must make decisions that are consistent with that and protect that. I want other kids, I want my cousins, and nieces and nephews, and I want your cousins and nieces and nephews, I want little kids to have the same opportunity I had. I came from nothing other than two great parents. That's not nothing. But I came, you know, we were really poor. And I was able to move up in America financially and do all kinds of great things for myself and my family because of the system and the sacrifices that previous generations protected and created. And I feel like I gotta protect and create that. And if that costs me a bunch of money and a bunch of alleged friends, I'm gonna deal with the consequences of that. Not because I'm better than any of these guys, I'm not. I'm messed up, but anyway, that's it. Play tomorrow, we'll see you tomorrow.